Uh, so um, how much is that? Welcome to the podcast editor's mastermind. I'm Daniel Avendroth, and I'm joined by some amazing people from the podcast industry. And today we're going to be talking about something that I know I've been struggling with a lot lately. And I'd imagine anybody that does this professionally deals with their clients sending them their files late and having to work up to the deadline. And how do you balance that all that out? But before we get into that, we'll introduce ourselves. I'm Daniel Abendroth. You can find me at rothmedia.audio. I'm Brian Ensminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. Joining us today is our special guest, Steve Stewart, who you can find at the podcast editoracademy.com, the podcast editors club, and about a zillion other places. So Steve, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me tonight. This is a great topic. I can't wait to get into it. And even more exciting, Steve is actually sponsoring this show for the next couple episodes because him and Mark Deal have created something truly amazing for the podcast editing profession. And that is the Podcast Editor Academy. It's a great place for a ton of resources. Yes, for editing. Brian actually has his course um, in the Academy for Hindenburg, but also taxes and workflow and sales scripts and like pretty much anything you can imagine that you need in the business along with editing. You can find it in the Academy. And not only that, they are hosting a mastermind session in August, right before the podcast movement in Dallas, there's going to be a, an amazing mastermind where you send small groups, talk to each other to solve all the problems, basically what we do here on a weekly basis with your peers, just solving all these issues. If you are a member of the Academy, you get a very, very steep discount on the ticket to the mastermind that's happening in Dallas in August. Um, And we're so grateful that Steve decided to sponsor us and to join us um, this episode. It just worked out that way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because like, was it like a week ago, you had posed a question in the podcast editors club about like dealing with the late fees and rush or whatever you want to call it. But before we get into that, do you want to say anything about the Academy and about what's happening in August? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, you pretty much talked about it. I mean, really, it's anything that anybody wants to do to learn about running a business as a podcast editor or even as a service provider in the industry. So we're not talking podcasting. We're talking about doing the stuff for the podcasters. The thing on August 23rd is going to be between nine and five. It's in Dallas, Texas, same location, same hotel as Podcast Movement, but it happens before the real things happen at Podcast Movement. We're going to do a a one-day mastermind. It's an immersive event. We're going to break people up into small groups. We're going to do a a half hour to an hour session on a specific topic, work through those challenges that we all seem to have, and then we'll be turning up the tables to turning people into different tables and and mixing it up so you're not stuck with the same people all day long. And we know just from conversations people have in the hallways, we learn a lot. So what are you going to do if you're sitting next to somebody like you guys at the uh, tables there? A lot of knowledge is going to be shared between people in the group. Yeah, I just want to add that when I found out about these super secret plans shortly after I had spent all of my conference money for PodFest this year, I was like, man, I'm super bummed that I blew it all on that, right? I mean, PodFest was great, but this does sound truly amazing. Yeah, and there's going to be some people there. You're going to be sad that you're missing it. (laughs) Well, probably all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so podcasteditoracademy.com. 
uh, slash conference will take you to the landing page for that. Yep. And if you use the promo code Yetis, you can get, I already forgot, was it the first 31 days for free? Yeah. If they join the Academy. Yeah. Let's make, let's give a special deal here. So people who join the Academy, that's a, a re- revolving membership. Here's the deal. The Mastermind Workshop is 199 bucks for non-members. If you join the Academy, three months is 199 bucks. But if you buy a ticket to the workshop or to the Mastermind Workshop, I'm going to give them free access to the Academy until September 30th. Oh, wow. So it's really join the Academy and then spend 20 bucks to get a ticket or buy a ticket and get at least a month or two worth of the Academy along with it. Just contact me after you buy the ticket. Say you heard it, uh, the deal on this show. Wow. Wow. That's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Good through uh, July 30th, 2022. How about that? (laughs) There we go. All right. So let's get into it. Late fees, rush fees, rush delivery, whatever you want to call it. It's something that has plagued me since I started doing this professionally. So Steve, why don't you start with what was like the question? What was your scenario that prompted your post in the first place? Which post? Because it seems to be a recurring (laughs) issue with me. The one that stands out to me was where there was a late change and then another late change, like the day of. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of those. In fact, I kind of posted a poll in my Facebook group today. Here's four scenarios. What would you do? It's, uh, you know, what would you let slide? What would you charge a rush fee or late fee for? Who would you fire? <laughs> and who would you push off their release for another week? And we're getting a few different uh, answers in there. But it's frustrating because, you know, as you know, and we all know who's watching this, Andrea's in the chat. She knows this. If you get your files late past your expected time, how do you fit that into your schedule to get their work done for their scheduled release date. It's really difficult, especially when you're juggling more than one client. And that was the scenario I was facing. It was a week or two ago when we posted that, that post. And just uh, this last weekend, I had somebody who they had a, an interview in the folder for this Monday's show and I edited it on Thursday. So I had like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So on Thursday, I edited it. I sent it to him because he wants to do a content review. and. Like five minutes later, I got an email. Oh, I'm switching that one to a a date in July. I'm going to put the right one in the folder here in a little bit. What do you do in that scenario? I've already done the work. Obviously, I'm going to get paid for it later, but I've already done the work. And now I've got to add another one to my work schedule. That's where the rush fee option comes into play. At least in my mind, there and there's three types of of late fee, rush fees, add-on fees that uh, I think we should be thinking about. Specifically right now, I think we're talking about the rush fee option though, right? That's the one that you were talking about originally, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's like what happens when they don't get you the files in time, but they still want it to come out on time. So I will institute what I call a rush fee and it's a rush fee option. So I actually have two choices. And the reason for that is I wanted to present something to my clients as if it was up to them. Rather than you screwed up, here's your penalty. Here, it's up to you. I can get this done in time, but you have two options. And I came up with something I thought was kind of fun and clever. So it kind of also put a nice little, you know, a touch on it to make it a little bit funny. I said, okay, it's either a $35 additional fee to the invoice, or you send my wife flowers with an apology note saying, you're sorry for making me work on the weekend. And I think that kind of softens the blow when somebody first joins, you know, becomes a client and they're like, oh man, I don't want to be penalized, but oh, that's funny, Steve, I'll send her flowers. Ah, ha, ha. Plus it gets, you know, gets me some brownie points with my wife and she enjoys the whole process a little bit more. I do have a late fee written into my contract, but I very seldom enforce it. 
typically what I'll do is if a client gets me something that's late, but I can get it done within my normal workload, I'll just do it and just let it go. If they get it to me super late and I'm going to have to rearrange some things to do it, I will typically present it as based on when these files arrived, I can't hit your due date. If there's no way, I like, I'm sorry, we're not going to hit that. We can either push it out or we can publish off cycle or something like that. I've thought about presenting it if I'm sort of in that in-between stage where it's late, but not too late of just going, hey, it's going to, this is outside the normal agreement. So would you prefer that I push out the publication date to the next available publication date, publish it off cycle or, well, I don't even like that idea. I really want like next publication date or the late fee. Just knowing that like, if I can't do it, I'm going to tell you I can't deliver on this. It's just not going to happen. And part of the reason for that is because as I've started building out a team, I have to be aware of the lead times that my contractors require, right? And so I can't commit them to something. I've had some where I was able to turn it around myself, but typically I would like, hey, the client got me this stuff late. Question number one, can you even hit this? Because they might have planned a family vacation. I have no idea. That's their, that's their business, not mine. I try to approach it that way but I haven't really done that interim stage yet. So that's something I'm considering right now. Daniel, what do you do? So uh, whenever I first like bring on a new client, I tell them, ideally, I would get it seven days in advance, but like, I understand things happen. So I have five days. For, my, for new clients, it's five days. Once I hit that, that's when a fee kind of goes in. Typically, and like older clients are three days, Like I'm a little too lenient. So it's usually like three days I'll give them ahead of the schedule. And oftentimes like, if it's just like once in a blue moon, I won't charge them the fee. One, because it's just more work to like go into and edit their invoices because I do recurring invoices. So like having just to edit one and like mess that up or send a second one with all the late fees. So I'm pretty like forgiving with the first one. But it's like when I get, so I have one client now who's kind of like, it's gotten habitual to where it's like the day before and I'm getting it Wednesday morning for Thursday release. So it's trying to like find a workaround to make that work. And the kind of like, you know, talking about what Brian was saying, in my mind, it's kind of like, if I can get it done, I'm going to try to get it done. Because like, I'm invested in their show. Like, I want it to go out when it goes out, because like, I want to see their show succeed. But I want to like, kind of distance myself more and respect my time more. I mean, like, yeah, I could get this done at a sacrifice of like my free time and like something I was looking forward to do. Or having to like rearrange my schedule just to make sure to get it done. Like I want to have like a, li- like a little more consistency and respect on my schedule and being like, hey, I can't do this. I think you, you mentioned something about them not getting stuff on time and you wanting to have, wanting to see them succeed. One of the things that I've started being really careful about is making sure that I'm not more invested in the success of their show than they are. Because that's where you end up starting to put yourself in a position where it almost feels like they're working for you and they're late with their deliverables because you want to see them succeed and they're not they're maybe it doesn't have the same level of importance to them or they don't manage their time or whatever that's something i think that i try to keep in the back of my mind and so it's not that i don't care about their shows i want all of them to succeed but if i see them starting to waver it does make me wonder do i need to maybe pull my hands off a little bit and let them make sure that they're the ones with their hands on the steering wheel it makes a lot of sense because like for us, like this is our focus is podcasting, but 
for my clients, I know for sure, and I think Brian, you're kind of in the same boat, that the podcast is just one part of their business. I can give you a scenario on that too. On Friday, I had heard from one of my clients who does a, a first Friday of the month episode, which is going to be this July 1st is, is the first Friday coming up. And I was like, hey, uh, just curious, when am I going to see these files? And I said, oh, we're going to record on Wednesday. Well, if, if I've got to have this thing ready to go Friday and they send it to me Wednesday, that gives me Wednesday and Thursday. That's it. So immediately I'm like, rush feed. Now I do realize that this is a specific, a special week for them because my client created a course. And there's a great story behind this. I can tell you this later if you want to hear it. But she created a course and every once to twice a year, she'll open up the course. So it's kind of like, uh, what do they call it? The scarcity thing? Yeah. And there's a lot of activity for a week and then they shut the doors. And this is that week. So I kind of understand why they're not getting it to me on top, you know, on their regular schedule. So those give and take scenarios that, that I think Brian, you hinted to earlier, where you're like, I would do it. I understand. I'd let it slide. And I know a lot of people have that same sentiment as well. Yeah. And I think one of the things I struggle with is that, is that because I always have that desire to be the nice guy. But the reality is, as I continue building out my team, if I expect them to rush something, they're going to expect to get paid for it. And so it's no longer an inconvenience fee for me. It's actually a business cost. Like if, if I have to pay them, let's just say that I have a $25 late fee with my contractor and I have a $25 late charge for my client. If I have to implement that, like I get it. If I get them there, if the client gets me their stuff and I'm just sleeping and off on vacation or something like that's on me. But if they get me their stuff late, that starts to get where I'm paying them in a sense to podcast, even though I'm their editor, because I'm covering their late fee because I didn't charge it to them. And so I've been trying to figure out how do I navigate that and start to begin this transition toward actually charging the late fees when it's appropriate and not feel like a jerk when I do it. And like, cause I mean, what is this like four years now? I've been not charging late fees, even though it's in the contract. This is the clincher to the whole process of my rush fee option came to be. I actually drafted an email to all my clients in February of 2020. And I was like, I'll, I'll finish this and make sure it's really good before, after the podcast started conference 2020. And for anybody who knows what happened in March of 2020, everything shut down. I'm like, well, this isn't the time to start telling people I'm going to charge them more for late, being late. You know, this is, a, there's, there was a lot going on at the time. Everybody remembers. So I waited and waited. And finally, I, I was like, okay, I think I'll do it in you know, January, February of 2021. But I held off for another year, knowing that I should probably institute a rush fee. And the reason I didn't do a rush fee before was because I thought this is what's going to happen. And there's studies that have been shown that when people are given the option to be penalized with a fee, they take advantage of that fee. They're like, oh, okay, it's just money. And I know to us, we think like, well, we're, we're charging them more money. But some people are like, I'll take that. I'll, you know, Blockbuster. Okay, fine. I'm a day late. I'll, do you guys remember Blockbuster? Yes. Yeah. You do. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just, you know, video for me. It's just, I, you know, I, it's, it's an inconvenience for me to go and return the video. I'll pay the late fee. So that's what I was worried about. And studies have shown that people, when they're given the opportunity to be late, even if it's just monetary, they will take advantage of it. I can point you to a study I've got over here. I heard it in Freakonomics. It's very interesting about people who didn't pick up their kids at daycare on time and they wanted to say, we got to stop this. So we're going to charge a late fee. Well, guess what? More parents started becoming late because, oh, they can keep it an extra hour. No, that's not the point. 
what I found in the past year now that I've been doing it is the same people who were late before I instituted a rush fee are the same people who are late now that I have a rush fee option. And I, yes, I'm making a little bit more money, which kind of compensates for the hassle part of it, but it really didn't encourage people to be late like I thought it would. Now that's my experience. I think that was, I've been very lucky, but I also have a really good relationship with most of my clients because I kind of know who all they are. Uh, I kind of grew up in that, that industry, but uh, Daniel, what about you? You had clients, you said they were getting you stuff late, but you have a rush fee, but you're not charging them a rush fee. So the habitual ones, the ones that like are regularly late, I will charge them. But if it's just like one week, every couple months, I'm not going to go through the hassle to add that onto the invoice. Do you charge by episode or do you charge per month, like a, a package deal? I charge per month. So it's like a flat rate for each month for up to one episode a week. And the way I sell that is the months I have five episodes, you get one for free, even though I've actually factored that into my cost. But it's nice kind of like, hey, don't worry about a surprise invoice whenever you have a fifth episode. So yeah, I charge the late fee per episode, but I have a monthly package, which is why charging late fees is a hassle. Because now with this client, I either do a recurring that goes out automatically and then send a second one with just the late fees. For me, I call it, I don't want it to, like, to come off as like a punishment, like you were saying. So I do uh, a rush delivery charge. So it's like, you're not being punished, but you can pay to get it out faster. So it's either I send out two invoices or I turn off recurring so I can manually edit it and then send it out. But then I miss out on like automatic uh, charging and everything else. Yeah, with my monthly clients, I'm a little more lenient because I also base my base rate on how many minutes they upload for each episode. And a lot of times they're below it. So I'm like, well, okay. So it kind of, if I were to, average everything out, it might absorb that that rush fee so I don't deal with it. If I was in Daniel's shoes in that situation, I'd probably send it. For me, the, the rush fee is 35 bucks. I don't know where I came up with the number I just did. I would just send him an invoice for 35 bucks and then let the recurring invoice keep happening. It's up to the client then to pay the invoice. And then they know, of course, oh, this is you know something out of the ordinary. What was difficult is she's well aware of it. She knows and she wants to do better, but her life is just like, kind of wild and like she was in Alaska one for a month and then she spends time in Hawaii and she had a retreat and now like she's going to like the Philippines or something. So like she's always doing something. So it's like hard to like have a consistent schedule. Can I just raise a question here though? It sounds like she's making decisions to do the things that she wants to do. And that's putting you in a position where you can't because her lack of prioritization of her deliverable because of whatever it is that she's doing, which I'm like, that's her. Like, I, I don't care. That's, that's her life. She can do that. But if her going to Hawaii means that you can't take your wife out to dinner one night because you've got to work, that's also kind of not cool. And I can't say this definitively, but I have a feeling that if I were to approach her because like she embraces that lifestyle of kind of spontaneity and um, free spirit, that if I'm like, hey, this is restricting my life, then it might make a difference. Like she was like, might respect that. But it's just like having that conversation. And I think part of it is like my mindset around it, like the fear of if I push too hard holding like these boundaries and holding them to these deadlines, then they might not want to keep, they might want to find somebody with more flexibility might not be somebody with more flexibility. It might be somebody without a backbone and that's a different thing. <laughs> yeah. But it is a, it's a legit fear because I mean, when, when do you draw a line 
I have never fired a client and I would never fire a client for being late all the time. But man, I mean, what if they fired me because I was charging them rush fees? How embarrassing would that be? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I've kind of thought about that a little bit. And of course, I'm not really doing the rush fees, but I don't, I only have one individual client left that I do per episode pricing. All the rest of them are on monthly. And it's kind of my view that if they keep getting me stuff so late that we can't hit their deliverable dates, then eventually they're going to decide that it's not worth it for them to pay for four episodes if they're only getting two because of when they get me their stuff. And it will just naturally happen. I shouldn't necessarily have to fire them. I think that might come to a head if I had somebody who believed that they should be able to get me their files late and I should still be required to deliver on my side of the commitment, even though they'd failed to deliver upstream without any compensation or even an opportunity to push back. I think that might be something worth letting a client go. But that I think would speak to something much deeper than just late fees. And I'd hope to think that I would actually be able to screen those people out before they become clients. And if it gets to the point where they're firing you because of a late fee, then like their heart isn't in the show already. And so like you might have like sped it up. But I, I feel like, and this is like the logical side of me saying like, if that's the case, they're going to go at some point. It's just a matter of like, is the late fee going to be the final push or is it going to come down later on? Like, I know that logically. But. So in those situations, uh, do you nickel and dime people for uh, additional stuff to get them off your roster? Or do you, uh, do you end up just firing them? I know one for sure. And that was just because they became too demanding. And that's kind of like where I'm at. Like, I don't nickel and dime. So like if they go over, like, so my monthly package is up to 60 minutes of raw audio. If they send me like an hour and a half one time, I'm not going to charge them extra because like I'm not here to like nickel and dime and try and get everything I can. But then it kind of comes out scarcity. Like I don't want to force them out. If I, I mean, if it gets bad enough, then I definitely will. You'll you'll find other reasons to get rid of them too, not just uh, charging more money. <laughs> exactly. But don't you feel like you'd be more compensated if you earn more money for the trouble that you're going through? I feel that way with a couple of clients that I, I still charge a higher rate, but they're also a little more, the recording is a little more challenging and working with them is a little more challenging. So I, in my mind, I feel a little more justified to charge more. Although it's almost, if I enjoyed the content more, if the recordings were better, I probably wouldn't think of twice about it, which seems a little uh, unfair in my brain. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, how do we draw that line? You know, I, I, I want to treat everybody the same. And yet I feel like if I charge this person and they came in in a higher package from the start. So it's not like, you know, I gave somebody a deal over somebody else, but they're getting charged full rate and I'm not bending or anything because it's not my favorite show to edit. I guess it's kind of a simple way to to explain it. I had a business coach a while back and like she explained it to where like, well, what she said was like, this is your business. You can charge people what you want and you don't have to disclose it. So it's not like, you know, you're advertising like, hey, if you have a topic I like, you don't have to pay as much. <laughs> like I had a show that I worked on that I really enjoyed what they were doing. Like I liked what they were working on. So I didn't mind as much. Oh, that was the second show. I think I fired. So I didn't mind as much that they were paying so little is because like I liked what they were doing. But then to get, to get to that point where it's just like they were asking too much and they weren't able to afford a fair rate. So like, if you're okay with it, like, I don't see any reason, any problem with charging somebody less or being more lenient because you do like working with them, because you do enjoy their show. Cause that's part of the conversation too. 
is like, I get to work from home every single day. And part of my compensation is I get to listen to podcasts that I enjoy. But like, if it becomes like a struggle for me, then it becomes like, I either get rid of the show or I charge enough to make it worth it. And you don't see any conflict of interest in that. I don't. It's weird. I don't either all the way. I can't figure out why. It just seems like it's unfair. Well, I would say that any price can be negotiated, right? I could walk into Starbucks and ask for a discount and they could decide to give it to me for free. And they, they're not required to tell anybody that they gave me a special price. So it's not necessarily disingenuous to say my rate is this and also have a client that pays a different rate. Most of my clients, even though I have published rates, most of my clients are on customized packages that are specific to exactly what they wanted. And so I don't know that I have any client that pays exactly what's on my website because nobody gets exactly what's on my website either. Those are there to help people decide whether or not they want to work with me. And then during a discovery call, we figure out whether or not what I'm offering as my package is actually right for them. And most of the time, it's one or two things off. And so we fix it, right? And we get it to where they want it. And then they get a special price just for them. And you think of like in corporate world, like if you're in sales, like you're negotiating with your clients to come up with like something that works for them. So I yeah. imagine like it's not uncommon, like in corporate America that, you know, different clients be paying different things based on what they negotiated in the process. Oh yeah. For my day job, one of the things that happens every few months now is we go out and bid carriers, right? Tractor trailer, big carrier companies like Knight or whatever. And over the years, I've seen sometimes the criteria that they use to determine whether or not we're a fun company to work with. And that absolutely affects their pricing. And they've got a list of things like things that their drivers care about, things that their dispatchers care about, all of that kind of stuff. And if we're hard to work with, they're going to give us a higher rate because they're big enough that somebody actually sat down and did all the analysis and figured out, hey, it's more expensive to work with them because we have to tender to three different drivers because nobody wants to go to their factory or like whatever. I'm just making up the details. But those kinds of things are absolutely considered, especially in those kind of high ticket relationally based type things. And depending on how like structured and like rigid you are in your pricing. So like I have, you know, my monthly price is for one episode a week up to 60 minutes. But if they don't do a weekly episode, I don't charge them the full amount. If they have really short episodes, like I charge them less. So and like, you know, if they want show notes, if they want this, if they want that, like each one can be like a customized thing. Yeah, same here. You know, that's another aspect we can think of if we're deciding to charge a rush fee because they're getting the files to a slate. What if you are providing those other services? I mean, is if a rush fee is levied, is it more because you also do the show notes and the guest booking or is it? It has to be. Not guest booking, but show notes. If you're contracting with other people, it absolutely has to be. Yeah. Right. Because if you think about it's no longer you deliver files and one person does everything for you. You deliver files and that person becomes your project manager that might also wear several of the hats who then coordinates all of the things. And so transparently, if Steve sent me files today to publish on Saturday, my team could not turn that around because they have specific lead times that are based on their workload and what they need to get done. And even if they were my employees, I would be hard pressed to choose which customers would be worth reprioritizing the entire team to do that, right? Because you, you don't hire people and then have them sitting there just waiting for stuff to do. You hire them and try to have a consistent workload for them all the time. And that's what I 
I try to provide even my contractors a reasonably consistent workload so that they can plan their other stuff around it. Because I, I know that any of that waste, like if they're sitting around for five days and then three files all show up on the same day to get done, that's wasting their time too, but they can't count on that. And so that becomes part of their price the next time pricing comes around. If, if they're astute, it absolutely becomes part of it because they go, hey, you, it kind of stinks working with you. You need to manage your clients better or I'm going to have to charge you more because I now have to cover opportunity cost for the work that I couldn't do while I was waiting on stuff from you. So would you charge a different fee based on what services they're getting? I probably would. It's not been an issue in the past, but yeah. Yeah. And would you charge a lower amount if it was further away from the due date or high and a higher amount if it was like, we need this tomorrow? I mean, transparently, if they needed it tomorrow, it's not going to happen. Right. Well, let's say you could get it done. Yeah. Would you charge more if it was a shorter period of time than if it was like... I don't think I would. I think that my lead times are already fairly generous in terms of allowing us time to maximize our workload and allowing time for us to do our best work. And so like my minimum turnaround time is listed as seven days. And if somebody's got a biweekly show, I'm actually starting to ask now for 10 days. Because what I've discovered is that, and I discovered this over the last year where I had a couple of per episode clients that, I, that were still on a per episode plan, and it would be nothing for three months. And then I'd get like five files all at the same time. And I realized you can't plan for your workload because what happens when they're not delivering me files is I fill up that work ideally with somebody else's work. And then when all that stuff comes, then everybody's like all the regular people are there and I've still got to fi- you know, fix this person that was stopped up. So I only do seasons and per, per month now for new clients and I've only got one per episode left. Uh, so I list them like that so that if I have an every two week client that gives them gives the team enough time to work around that. And then if we have a rush, I would, I would charge the same rush feed regardless. Now, would I enforce it on day one? I don't know. I might wait a day or two, but I don't know why I would charge more and more two days before as opposed to five days before. Once I'm having to pay my contractors more, that's where it hits. I've seen discussions in my Facebook group that they would charge more if it was closer to that date, but it does sound like they are talking about you know, one to two business days rather than a week. And just to be transparent, my policy is based on three business days, not seven days like you guys, although that might be smarter. But I can just tell you right now, I've got clients that wouldn't be able to do that. One of my clients does three shows a week. They're a minimum of one hour each. There's no way they could get me a full week episode, you know, a week in advance. But it'd be interesting to see what would happen if I could get them to that point. (laughs) So how do they handle when they go on vacation? Uh, They do eight weeks on, one week off. So this actually, right now, uh, tomorrow's the last new episode. Next week's all reruns. And the guy who's in charge of the show is on a cruise ship right now, in fact. (laughs) So we got his episodes done just in time for him to catch the flight to the, you know, to catch the boat. They do three hour long episodes every week. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. This wow. is his business. He is at, now when you say when you go to a conference, say I'm a podcaster, you go somewhere and say I'm a podcaster. He is a podcaster. He it is his job to do this show. That's awesome. So legitimate podcaster here we're talking about. So while we're kind of talking on policies, I do want to mention um, Brittany Felix because I love her policy. It's not something that I would ever implement, but her policy is hard and fast. Seven like she doesn't do late feeds. It's seven days. If you don't get your audio to her seven days before the due date. She doesn't push it out until the following. So if you release an episode on Wednesday, you get it to her on Thursday, 
you're not releasing the episode this coming week. It's going to come out almost two weeks from that, that time. I would actually push back a little bit on calling that a no late fee policy because if you're paying monthly and you're not able to publish, it's actually a 100% late, late fee for the episode. <laughs> you know, that's a very good point. Because you're paying for four and you're getting three. But uh, now I haven't talked to Brittany in a while if she's changed it, but she, I remember her saying you know, in 2021 and before that she tried to get her clients on a monthly retainer and they also wanted to stay episode uh, charged per episode. So she doesn't put an episode out. She doesn't get paid. So she's not making as much money as she could if she was going to get that that other one out within three business days rather than seven or seven calendar days. And that's something you got to weigh out because if I know Brittany, she's always looking to travel and stuff and she can't do it that way. It, it wouldn't fit her lifestyle. Whereas me, I'm I'm perfectly happy. I love editing. And I'll, I'll edit in the hotel room if I'm at a conference if I have to. I don't tell my clients that, please. But <laughs> it can happen. Uh, so it would fit her lifestyle more than it would fit me. And I guess we've all got to figure out our values. And, and I know this has been a trial and error ever since I instituted the rush fee option to see what happened. And, and it's, been, it's been pretty good. So one thing I'd like to circle back to, Steve, you'd mentioned that study in Israel where they were charging a late fee for the parents. The thing about that one that scared me the most and scared me off of late fees for a really long time was that I remember them saying that once they realized parents were just not going to come pick up their kids, they removed the late fee and parents still expected to have that free hour from that point forward because they had broken the fact that it was originally a relational thing where they knew you were putting it out to now it was just, well, I can, now it's a transaction. Oh, now it's a free transaction, even better. But I have to wonder if you should change your business plan to meet those demands. Because if everybody needs, if you think about in the United States, most people work nine to five if it's a day job. And if they got to travel to the day job, which is probably why they're dropping kids off at a daycare, then if they don't get off until five, you can't have people picked up by five, your kids picked up by five. So you need to extend that to six o'clock or 6.30 if the demand is there, but then you need to be compensated for it as well. So as far as a rush fee levied on that, if you went past 630, I think it would be fair, but the expectation has to be put out there first. And, and then when you change things, it, it's almost like an experiment to see what are my people, what are my clients, what are my customers going to think of it? Will I lose customers because of it? Will they take advantage of it? And it makes my situation even worse. It's a, it's a delicate balancing act. So that actually kind of inspires me a little bit. So next time I do import, so the idea I have now is just build that into my pricing. So for this client who is habitually late, that's kind of like her lifestyle. I've shown that I can do it. Like I can work with these late things. So it's not like I can be really kind of like honestly say like, hey, I can't do this anymore. It's just like, hey, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. But that is something that is needed. She wants kind of have that like a uh, flexibility so I could easily kind of like work that into my monthly pricing. My normal rate is this much money. But if you do, and that's before a seven-day turnaround time, if you do want something shorter, I can just charge you this much a month and not have to like actually worry about charging late fees or rush fees or whatever you want to call it. So bend your, or change the contract you have with her to say, instead of seven calendar days, make it three business days or whatever. That gives you some relief. That's not as stressful when you know now it's not seven, it's three. And then they also know, well, then again, you got to think, are they going to take advantage of that? Now you get it two business days before release. Well, that's the thing is expecting them to take advantage of it. They're going to take advantage of it, whether or not it's in the contract, I might as well put it in the contract and charge for it. 
So that way the expectation is there. And that kind of helps my mindset. It's like, this is now our contractual expectation is I get it this, you know, this close to the deadline instead of. But what if they go even, even closer to the deadline? That's well, right the, now they're getting to me the day before. So I get it usually oh like on Wednesday <laughs> for a Thursday. And like, we've come to an agreement, like this out of seven days, if I can get it Monday night, but it, like she still can't stick to that. So, I mean, I'll just make my recommendation and you can ignore me. That's fine. But I, I like the idea of rewriting the contract based on behavior. Yeah. Since you've already demonstrated that you can do it. And they've demonstrated that a longer deadline, a longer turnaround time doesn't work for them. And I think the other thing that I would maybe write into that is, but if you don't get it to me by this time, it is not going to be published when you think it will. I'll get it when I can get it. And then you have to manage from your side what is reasonable for you to do. I mean, because could you technically stay up all night on Monday to get it out on Tuesday? Yeah. Is that sustainable? No. When you think about whether or not you can deliver it, there has to be some approach that addresses the fact that you need excess capacity. You, you have to have something left in the tank because you can't operate full out all the time. Not even factories can do that, right? You've, and you're, you're not a machine. I mean, you're pretty close, but you're not a machine. So <laughs> working on it. Yeah. Could there also be some concessions? Because you think about it, we're talking about you know, a rush fee that's a monetary thing. Uh, or in my scenario, they can have the choice of sending wife flowers which these days is actually more than the rush fee. You know, this is a delivery fee that they have to pay on top of that. But what, what other concessions could you ask for when they do that? Uh, I don't know what kind of concessions. I just think it's an interesting concept because I'm always thinking it doesn't have to be about money. That's primarily the goal of, of doing this work is we get paid for the services that we provide. But what other things could we ask for that, that isn't monetary that, that they could possibly provide us if they break the contract? I don't know what that would look like. Yeah. Free Let's Netflix for a year. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> I like that. So those in the chat, if you've got some ideas of what the non-monetary things could be, that'd be great. One thing that pops to my mind immediately, because we like eating at places not our house, would be gift cards for a nice restaurant. Oh, that's Carrie's thing too, isn't it? She likes those. It, it might be. My yeah. version of a nice restaurant might be a little bit lower on the food chain <laughs> than hers. Like Mine is pretty much just like, if it's nicer than McDonald's or Chick-fil-A, we'll call it a nice restaurant. So yeah, there's some flexibility there. You can always um, give me plugins. <laughs> Dude, nobody can afford the plugins I want. <laughs> That's got to be really, really fast. I, I was pricing out the yeah. FabFilter plugins and man, oh, I want no. them, but no, they're expensive. So I, I didn't pull, it, pull the trigger. While we're waiting for some of those ideas to flow in, Aunt Helen had an interesting question in the chat. I'm wondering, can we pop over to that? It's sort of off topic, but I think it's appropriate. She's wanting to know if we would charge for two to three hours of work if the person decided to carry on. The context of this is there was a client where she was doing a trial with them. And based on the initial, the initial piece, the quality of the audio was so bad that there was just no way that she would ever be able to deliver their expectations based on what they provided her. So she said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. They weren't willing to change the expectations so, or, or whatever. So they said, well, they're just not going to have her finish it. So she's going, okay, well, I did several hours of work on this. Should I bill them for it? So what do you guys think? So in this specific situation, so for me, I'm really lenient when it comes to these things. Like I'm not hugely motivated by money. So in this one, like I'll chalk it up like, hey, it didn't work out and just let it drop and probably not charge them for it. And then a couple points is that it was a trial. 
and Helen wasn't able to kind of fulfill the requirements. So if I think about it from like a client perspective, is it fair to like have to pay for all this work that the client or that the editor wasn't able to fulfill? So that's kind of like where I'm at with it. I would say in Helen's defense, she's a good editor. So if she couldn't deliver on it, it wasn't because of her. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and I'm not trying to like knock Helen. Like we yeah. love Helen. This is where I might take my, a page from the Mike Wilkerson book of dealing with clients. He told me his approach has always been, send me 15 minutes. I'll show you what we can do. And then we'll talk about whether or not you want to continue and, and then what the price would be. Because his perspective is that 15 minutes is enough time to find out whether or not they can string a sentence together or if you're going to have to hire a linguist to figure out what they've done so you can edit it. So, And that, that also opens up the door for you to be hired to do some coaching because you're going to find some ways to help them improve their audio quality, their performance, stuff like that. You know, hey, go use Riverside or Squadcast. Uh, that would be a nice, simple solution that maybe they hadn't heard of. Uh, so it gives it opens a door for you to have those discussions. Now, Helen's saying she did the work, so do you get paid for it? I had a similar scenario where I had a show. <laughs> here we go, another COVID story. I had a show, they recorded like 10 episodes, and it was just two hosts talking to each other. It was all monologue discussions. And I edited probably about five of them. And we we're going to get launch, uh, launch the show after I got back from podcast editor, uh, the Podcasters Conference 2020. And then the world fell apart and they decided, you know what, this is not the time for us to launch a show. We're just going to scrap the idea. I'm like, well, I did all this work already. You know, like, yeah, absolutely charge us. So luckily they gave me the go ahead to, to invoice them. I invoiced them a discount because I mean, all the work that was done was just editing the conversation. There wasn't music and introductions and uh, outro stuff being done. So I got lucky there. But as far as would I not charge them at all? In that scenario, I'd say, no, there's too much work to be done. If it was one episode, I probably wouldn't bat an eye. I'd probably let it go. Just like with uh, Mike's, Mike Wilkerson's 15-minute test. In this specific instance, I would probably approach it as, hey, here's an example of the best that I can do. It's taken me this many hours to do this. If you want me to continue, this is the quality that you're going to get. And if not, then this is what we're going to need to pay to settle up. Right. So just make that really clear so that they're making a decision there. Because I think that giving them having the option to not continue without the understanding that there could be a charge anyway is probably going to feel like a deal changer to them. When in reality, it's, I don't think it should be, but I could see their point of looking at it and going, well, you, you didn't complete the work. And your point, well, I, I put in way more time than it was worth. Like, it's not my fault that you just put together a terrible recording. Like, that's on you. Yeah, with Mike's 15-minute sample test, there was no, ex uh, no expectation of payment. I don't even know if the rate was ever discussed before then. Whereas I can't imagine that we'd be doing a full episode without having talked about our rates first. So there is an expectation to pay there. So people are going into the scenario saying, okay, I'm getting work done. Just because I took the taxi to the airport and the plane took off without me, I, I, sh what, yeah. I, can't, I shouldn't yeah. pay for the taxi. <laughs> uh, you know, So there's, there's that expectation of payment regardless. I think it's a little easier to charge for it. I wonder what she did, what Helen did. I don't know. If you want to tell us, you certainly can, Helen. As you shared that, Steve, I was remem remembering PodFest for this year where I paid for two extra Ubers because my airline was delayed. So yeah, the Uber driver is expected to get paid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and an extra night in a hotel. Yeah, it was the best. 
And you know what? The airline didn't care at all. They were like, that kind of stinks. Have you read our contract? Yeah, I think the expectation at the beginning is important. And also, so kind of two things. One, if you're not going to work together anymore and you expect to get paid, like that's totally justifiable, but just understand there's not really a whole lot of motivation or like anything to kind of hold them to it except their own honor. So it's understand that you might not get paid if you invoice them. And then two, because I I've had that in the past where like I'd work with somebody to help them get their show launched. But before like we launched, they just ghosted and not, never heard from them again. So now before we start working together, if I am helping you like launch a show, you pay 50% of the launch fee at the beginning and then 50% once we fulfill our obligation and then monthly after that. But if you've already launched, you're just coming in for editing. I charge after the work is done. So tomorrow I'll be billing for the work I did in June. So for new clients that are coming in just for editing or just for ongoing services, they pay 50% of what their invoice would be when we start working together, whatever the remainder is at the end of the month. And then it kind of goes on to normal billing. So that way, before I do work, I at least have some sort of compensation. Yeah, that makes sense. That actually reminds me of a conversation I had with Mark Deal, who's the other leader of the Podcast Editor Academy. We were talking about contracts. And one of the things he said is that unless money has exchanged hands, contracts aren't worth the paper that they're printed on. Because even though there's a signature, no money has been exchanged, no work has been exchanged. He said he won't write a contract that doesn't include some kind of down payment, whether it's an earnest fee or a retainer fee or the first month or the first episode or whatever. He's like, this is due when we sign the contract or we're not going to sign the contract. This is how this works because, and I found myself in this situation a year or two ago where I had a contract in place for some work that never came through. So I spent the whole year kind of tentatively holding capacity for something that never came through, but no money had ever changed hands, right? But being a person of of integrity, I'm going to try and hold that capacity available. Well, that cost me potentially a couple thousand dollars that year, right? Because the work didn't come through, not faulting the person that didn't have the work to deliver. It's my fault for not having some kind of money required before we, before we finalized it. It's a good lesson to learn. Yeah, hard one too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, was there anything else? I think that's all I got. I'm there trying to check my notes. Steve, did we touch everything that you wanted to touch on? Oh, the, the main topic was the rush fee thing, but okay. uh, yeah. I guess we could talk about, is there, do you charge any kind of a late fee if they don't pay their invoice on time? <laughs> that's the third one. Yeah, you got your rush fee option to get the work done <laughs> when they need you to. There's the over limit fee. They, they give you more than you're expecting. And then the third one would be, hey, it's been 30 days. Uh, you haven't paid your invoice. How come? I have one written into my contract, but I only have one client that's on manual payments. Everybody mm-hmm. else is auto billed. So it's never amazing? been an issue. I love it. It's so great. It is. I have everybody on auto billing, but not auto. They haven't set up like auto payment. Oh, I said that wrong. Yeah, mine are all on auto pay with the exception of one. Uh, and that's a corporate client where they're just not willing to do auto. Like, I get it, right? That's their thing. And they're guaranteed to have a longer payment cycle anyway because there's people in the middle. Yeah. So, one thing I wondered about, because this is these are always therapy sessions for Brian, there is a little bit of mental junk when I think about working with or putting a client and saying, hey, like I'm going to have to start charging you extra. Um, Steve, how did you work? Since I know you've worked through that, how did you work through that process of going, yeah, I'm going to have to go ahead and do this? 
to institute the, the rush fee. I, I battled it for a couple of years because of the fact that I didn't want somebody to, to take advantage of the fact. I, I was trying to prevent it and I was afraid that it would encourage it, just like the study we were talking about earlier. So mm-hmm. I sat on it for a while, making sure that it was what I wanted to do. And I think I, get, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I have to pull the trigger. Something has to happen. Uh, so it was the point of frustration, I think, that caused me to actually jump into it. Say, look, I've got to have something there uh, to at least be compensated monetarily. Oh, let's put in this little spin about flowers to make it a little more palatable. And that helped me to push it out to all my clients. Say, starting in two months, this is the deal. If you can't do it, have a conversation with me. I always open the door to conversations about these things because maybe there's something we can work around some kind of other kind of concession they can make for me. But that was how I was able to work it through. I was like, I got to do something. Let me make it so it's a little more palatable. And then it was it was written in stone. What's your flowers to money ratio? Like, what do they choose? <laughs> I've only gotten two bouquets. So <laughs> most people are paying the fee. But we like the money too. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's a good thing. Are we ready for the pod decks question of the day? As long as we have answered all the comments in the chat. I think so. I haven't seen anything come through with answers to our questions. So people in the chat, we're looking for your answers. Steve, can you pick a number between one and five? Five. It's my wife's favorite number. Is it really? Oh, man. This is fun. See? (laughs) See how it works? (laughs) Let's talk about your wife's favorite number for a second. (laughs) Um, The question for today is, what's your greatest regret? And let's make it podcast editing focus. So let's not make it entire life, but your greatest regret as a podcast editor. Oh my gosh. So this is where, okay, Alejandro's going to have to edit out the silence, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) I I think, I don't know that it's my greatest one, but the, the one that I'm thinking about currently as I think about my business is that I didn't move away from per episode pricing earlier. I wanted to offer flexibility. What I actually offered was chaos. And so that's, that's maybe not my greatest, but it's the one that comes to mind. Allowing my clients to share large files with Google Drive. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think mine has to do with my pricings. I stayed way too low for way too long. That's a good one. And for those in the chat, if you've got a greatest regret, we'd love to read it so we can commiserate with you. <laughs> uh, so just just drop that in there um, and we'll we'll be reading and stuff. So I guess all that's left is to let people know how to become a guest on the show. Oh, it's pretty tough. Our standards are really high, but we would encourage you to start by going to podcasteditorsmastermind.com slash be a guest. There's a little form there that you can fill out to let us know what your name is and how to contact you and some information about a topic that you might be interested in covering. Or if you want us to help you mastermind something on the show, just put that all in there and send that off. Daniel will get that and he'll reach out to you and we'll see what we can get set up. Uh, and I want to thank Steve for coming on the show. It's always great to talk to you. Always just a wealth of information and a huge inspiration for the entire podcast editing community. Thank you. The white isn't because I dyed it to look like Santa. The white is from wisdom and experience. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> the white beard. Although the hair is not there yet. I don't know why. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was a good topic. I really like talking through this because I like seeing the other angles of what people do in these scenarios because it might give me a new idea too. Um, if people want to talk to you, reach out to you, where can they go or where should, where do you want people to go? What do you have to promote? Best places to go. If you want to get into the community, go to the podcast editors club. 
plural, Editors Club. That's where we have the community. Or if you want to get into the business of podcast editing or learn how to do it better, uh, we've got all kinds of courses in there. We're adding a whole bunch of new ones too that don't specifically have to do with editing. Like we have one on how to set up a portable studio. We've got one on managing social media. That's all at podcasteditoracademy.com. And of course, we've got the one-day mastermind workshop happening in Dallas, same hotel as Podcast Movement, the day that Podcast Movement is having their kickoff party. So come join us in Dallas, Texas, August 23rd. Go to podcasteditoracademy.com slash conference. So one more thing about the conference. I love that's what you and Mark do is having it right before a big podcast conference. So you go work out all your keys, get all your answered questions, all your questions answered, and then you go mingle with potential clients. Yep. And we're going to try to make opportunities happen like we do at every conference that we're at. We're going to try and get some of those networking opportunities. And and maybe the Mastermind Show will sit on the floor and record another episode. (laughs) That'd be fun. All right. Well, I am Daniel Abendroth. Um, It's been great chatting with everybody. You can find me at rothmedia.audio. I have been Brian Itzminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. And unable to be with us tonight was Carrie Caulfield. Eric, her Google is broken, so she was not able to join us. We're very sad. Uh, It's always good to have her. And thanks to Steve, our special guest, for joining us. Uh, Steve, any words of wisdom for us? My main words of wisdom will always be pay attention, not interest. Oh, I love it. That's a great model to live your life by. Pay attention, not interest. That's awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. See if I can do this right. I get this wrong every time. We're (laughs) still live, by the way. There we go. Uh, so um, how much is that? Um, 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 um